we are going to continue our series that we kicked off a couple of weeks ago, just simply entitled, Why? And this comes from some conversations that um, I have with some folks, Timmy has with some folks um, toward the end of 2020, the beginning of 2021, where, you know, we're talking with people and, and they just feel defeated. And as you talk to them, they, they literally say things like, man, I don't even know why it matters anymore. Like, why does this matter? You know, based on the results of the election, you know, whatever side they were on, or, or based on all that's going on with COVID and, and shutdowns and this, that, and the other with schools or jobs or, or concerts or whatever it may be, you know, social unrest, all the things that made last year just so chaotic. You kind of, at the end of the year, just kind of felt like throwing your hands up and just saying, you know what, I don't even know why it even matters anymore. But see, the thing is, there is things about our lives that matter. And we know this because it matters to God. So we started that very first week talking about why things should matter and why today actually matters. And as we look at today, last week, we looked at why character matters and who you are um, in the inside at your core is what kind of drives what people see in your actions and your personality, why character still matters. And today we're going to be jumping into another topic. And, and it's funny, it's, it's a topic that I don't think I've preached on very often in my now almost 25 years of full-time ministry. Um, in, in fact, you know, at least over the last 13 to 15 years, if I preached on it, I kind of, I have it in a computer somewhere, you know, in a database, a hard drive, somewhere that I can go in. So a lot of times if I'm preaching on a particular subject, let's just say love, you know, I can go to my database, I type in love, it brings up every sermon I've ever preached on love. And I can kind of look through there and just kind of see, you know, what have I said in the past? What, you know, have I missed? What's some things that might've changed and might look on things? And I can kind of go through there. Well, I knew that this week's topic was coming up and I knew this week's topic was family. And so I went and I, and I jumped on. I was like, surely I've preached on family in the last 15 years. So I go in and I kind of go to my database and I type in family, nothing. I look at all the various hard drives and computers, the different things. I'm looking everywhere, you know, in the cloud, all these places that I think I have something on family, nothing. Like there's like no sermon that I could find on family. Um, and so today's going to be interesting, right? And because I got a cool story, I'm going to tell you about family in just a second and kind of how this all came together ultimately this morning. But I want you to understand this morning that when I talk about family, uh, the first thing that comes in our minds is kind of um, what was originally the old nuclear family. You know, mom and dad and two kids, right? Well, well we know families look a lot different than that. There's, there's people who are married and they never had kids, and that's okay. They're still a family. There's families that do have two kids or three kids or five kids, and they're a family. There's mixed families where you have couples that were, that were married before, and maybe they had kids in previous marriages, and now they're together, and they're married, and their families look different. And then you've got single parents that are raising um, sons or daughters or multiple kids on their own. That's a family. And so I don't want you to think as I'm just talking about families that all I'm talking about is just kind of what we think about as the mom, dad, and two kids, and that's it. This, this, hopefully this message this morning and things that we're going to share is going to cover every type of family there is. Whether you're with kids, no kids, mixed families, whatever it may be, that today is about your family. It's about what your family looks like when you're not here at church, when, when you're not just wherever you're at, that the family you come home to, like what do they look like and why does that matter? So right now... Um, I'm going to read some scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're going to read the first four verses. So Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that may you enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. I'm going to ask right now, if you would, to pray for me as I pray for you. Lord, this morning, as we talk about family, it can bring up a lot of different emotions. For some of us, it's memories and feelings of joy, excitement, because the families we have or the families we grew up in was exactly what we always wanted. For others, the families that we have now or the families we wish we had are far from what we envisioned. Families may be broken, they may be hurt, they may be stuck, but God, you're not. And maybe for some of us uh, sitting in here or watching online or listening, Lord, maybe for some of us we've given up on family. We've given up on having a family. We've given up on what this idea of a family uh, should look like or be like. But God, you have not given up on our families. That our families should still matter to us because they still matter to you. Lord, I pray this morning that you just soften our hearts, open our eyes, challenge us, Lord, with the ideas of what your family should look like be like and how we can play a part in that. What we can do, Lord, to make sure that our family matters. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So I told you I couldn't find um, any sermons I'd ever preached on family. And so uh, this may be too much information that I'm about to share with you. Um, so just listen to me. You don't need to visualize what I'm about to tell you because you're, you're going to throw up. So um, just, just listen. So I do a lot of my sermon um, prep in the shower. All right? And so it sounds crazy, but I'll be in the shower, and I'm washing my hair, and, and I'm thinking about the sermon, and, I'm, and it's, just, it's just my quiet time, right? When, when, when you live in the house that I live in, you know, with, with just this weird loud and noisy and chaotic and everything's just nuts, so like, you know, like, your shower time is like your quiet time, right? So it's the fire. I can shut the door, and I can go in there, and the hot water and the steam, and I can just sit there and just think, right? And so there's something about that. I, I do a lot of sermon prep in the shower, and I'm thinking. And so this past week, I was thinking about the sermon, and I was thinking about family, and I was thinking about what the Lord wanted me to say. And, and I'm just like, man, I can't believe I've never preached on family before. And as I'm sitting there, it occurred to me, I know of at least one time when I preached on family. It was, I'm going to guess spring, April, May, June, or something like that, of 1993. And I know this because it was the first sermon I ever preached in my life. The very first sermon. So I, I was 18 years old. I graduated high school in 1992, and, and I was kind of going through, you know, uh, community college, kind of lost, not really knew what I wanted to do, but I loved being at church. And I'll never forget, I had a job, and I was talking to my boss, and my boss was like, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, well, what do you, where do you like to be? What do you like to do? And I was like, I don't know. I said, I like going to church. And he said, all right, well, get a job in the church. And I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And his advice was, look, if you can find a job that you love doing, where you love being, and you can figure out a way to get paid doing it, you'll never be unhappy. 
right? Like that'll be something that even on your bad days, it'll still get you out of bed and get you going. And so that really led me searching. I was, I'd pray to God. I was like, God, is this like, I just feel so good at church. Is this where you want me? And I was one of those church rats, right? Like I grew up in this small independent Baptist church. We had church like eight nights a week, right? I mean, we were there all the time and I was there all the time. And so I started feeling like maybe this is what I want to do. Like maybe I, I don't know what I want to do in church, but I, I love being in church. So I went to my pastor and I said, hey, I may be getting called to the ministry. I don't know. I just love being in church. And so he started giving me little small jobs to do around the church. And I was in charge of the church sign. You know, I got to put up all those funny sayings that Kim likes to message me every once in a while about. Like, like I was putting up C-H-C-H, what's missing? You are. Right, like I invented that. And so, like, that's there. Like, things like that. And then I guess I did well enough with that. He said, all right, now, the, the, the kindergarten and first grade class needs an assistant teacher. So he put me in there. So I'm helping out there on Sunday mornings, and I'm doing that. And eventually, um, one of my very best friends at the time, Chris Sharp and I, you know, he was feeling kind of called to the ministry too, you know, our pastor got us together, and he's like, how would you two guys like to preach one Wednesday night? And we're like, yes, right? And so he put us both together because he knew these 18-year-old guys, they're going to preach like five minutes. They're going to think in their heads, and if you've ever had to speak in front of the public, you know, like, you have all this planned, and you're like, oh, I'm going to go on for 30 minutes, and it's like 30 seconds, right? It just, there's something that happens up here that's like this time vortex, and it just goes away. And so he put us both together very wisely, and I, and I believe Chris spoke first, and I, I spoke second, and he kind of coached us along the way of what we were going to be talking about. So he wanted to know, hey, what's your subject, what's your subject, so on, and I remember, for whatever reason, I was led to that passage I just read, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. To this day, I don't know why I was led to that, but I was led to that. And I remember going to him and saying, hey, JR, I want to preach on family. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, yeah, I, I do. He said, no, no, you don't. He was like, family's the hardest thing to preach on. He was like, I'm telling you, you're going to be preaching on family. You're going to see mama in the crowd, and you're going you're gonna to lose it. And I'm like, no, I never cry. Like, this will be fine. He's like, all right. So he let me do it. So Chris got up there and preached first, and Chris did a great job. And Chris is still pastoring today, and he has a church down near Raleigh. And, and then I was next, and I got up on that Wednesday night. And, of course, everybody in the church showed up because they, I guess they just wanted to see a train wreck. And so they showed up to hear Chris preach and me preach. And I got up there, and I read this passage, and I started preaching about family. And I looked out, and I saw mom, and I saw dad. And, who, and all of a sudden, I started crying, right? Like, I'm just blubbering. Like, and I'm standing in front of, like, these people, and I am crying like I am a hot mess. And I'm just, like, barely getting through it. Nobody can understand what I'm saying. And, and it was just, oh, it was awful, right? And um, I haven't thought about this in almost 30. It was 28 years ago. I hadn't thought about this in almost 30 years. And, and then I thought about it this week, that, that what happened. And after that, you know, of course, in Baptist churches, when you finish preaching, you got to go stand by the door so everybody can come by and tell you you were good, even when you were terrible. And so I was standing there by the door, and people were coming by and shaking our hands. And this little old lady, I mean, she was like 90, she came by and grabbed my hand, and she said, you remind me of the weeping Jeremiah. And I was like, is she like dissing on me? Like, I, like this, I don't think that's a compliment, right? And, and so that's why I'll never forget that. That was the first compliment, I guess, I ever got. And now I'm the weeping Jeremiah, and I have not cried since. And so, um, and, and so anyway, I was in the shower this week, and I thought about that story. I'm like, oh, man. I was like, I haven't thought about that in like 30 years. And all these memories started coming back. And, I, and I know, I'm not lying. I stood there, and I was like, gosh, I wish I still had that sermon. 
Like, wouldn't it be cool if I still had those sermon notes? And I'm like, man, I would bring those notes out and I would preach that this week. Like, this just comes like full circle. Like, first sermon ever, last sermon ever. Like, it's just, it would happen. And, and I was just like, oh, but I'm like, that was 28 years ago. Like, here's, like, I don't even have that. Like, I don't even know where I would even look. Surely, I mean, it's probably been thrown away or it's, or it's at mom and dad's house or, or wherever it may be. And y'all gonna think I'm crazy. I truly felt like God said, go to your office and look in this drawer. And I was like, what? And so the other day, um, I couldn't, couldn't get that feeling out of my head. So the other day, Beth and Josh and I came up here to play disc golf one evening, and we're up here playing, and we finished, and I was like, Beth, I got to run over to my office. I, I, I got to look for something. So I came in, and I pulled out this drawer, and it was just stacked full of papers, like all this junk that I've kept through through 25 years of ministry. And so I just started going through these papers and going through these papers and going through these papers and I'm looking for stuff. And I knew, like, I, I was like, I, 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 if I have it, this is what it's going to look like on this type of paper or whatnot. And I'm digging through and I'm digging through and I get almost to the bottom. I mean, it's like the bottom 25% of the stack. And I found it. <laughs> the first sermon I ever preached, Right? Like, like, this should be in the Smithsonian. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we could frame this and hang this on the wall, but this is it. And so I, like, pulled it out. It was like Indiana Jones finding, finding the Holy Grail. It was like, oh, 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 and like, like, things happen. And I looked, and I read the title, The Value of Family Values. Man, if you think that title sucks, you should read this sermon. The rest of it, it goes downhill from there. Like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I can't preach this. Like, this is garbage. Like, they should have been crying, not me. Like, this is not good, so you're not going to get this today. I just wanted to share that. But I think I was so traumatized, I haven't preached on family in 28 years because of that, right? I mean, that's the only thing I can come to. But, um, but anyway, I'll, I will save you from that. But even then, at 18 years old, I kind of felt like family mattered. And I, and I don't know what it was, and, and I look at it back then. I mean, here was this 18-year-old kid standing up in front of people trying to tell them this is why being a parent matters or this is why being a kid matters. I wasn't either one of those anymore. I was kind of in that awkward stage. I was 18, 19 years old. I didn't even have a girlfriend. I sure didn't have kids. I wasn't married. And I'm sitting here trying to tell people this is what family is about. This is why family should matter. I believed it mattered. I may not have had all the facts right. I may not have had the scripture interpreted just right, but in my heart and my core, even at 18 years old, I knew family mattered. And I knew it mattered because it mattered to my parents. And I knew it mattered because it mattered to God. And so now we'll fast forward. You know, that was 28 years ago. Um, this May, I'll be 25 years in ministry. This April will be 23 years of marriage. We have three kids. I mean, it's like now I understand why family matters. When, um, as I was thinking about 18-year-old me or, you know, 22-year-old me or however I was when Beth and I got married, you know, and, and we went five years before we had kids, I would think about, you know, what are some goals that I would want for my family? And I was just thinking about that. And I'm sure I had several goals, but the two that I kind of landed on this week as I was thinking about, these are two things that I know I really wanted before marriage or before I had kids. You know, these are two things that I wanted. The, the, the first was this, is I wanted to create a family where my kids wanted to be around me even when they didn't have to be, right? 
I mean, there's something about that. And I think that came from being a youth pastor for so many years. You know, like our youth group, a lot of times became an escape for kids because their home lives were so rough. Their home lives were just so chaotic in a bad way, right? Not in a fun, chaotic way, but in a, in a tragic way that they were dealing with parents that had substance abuse issues or broken families or, or, social, or just whatever it may be, that, that we became kind of this safe place. And they didn't want to go home. And we had kids that would come over to mine and Beth's house. I mean, you know, we're early 20s. We don't know anything. And we have kids that are wanting to come out and hang out at our apartment or hang out at our house right down Kerner Road here for hours at a time. We were like, you've got to go home, right? Uh, like we're sending them home. But they didn't because they didn't want to go home. And so I think early on, I was like, you know what? I want my family, I want my home to be a place that my kids love to be, that they love to be there and they love to be around us e- even when they don't have to be. And then the second thing, and I'm, I'm ready to plan for this. Beth is not ready to plan for this. I, I, I want to plan for a life once the kids are gone. Then I realize that, you know what, eventually these kids are going to grow up. They're going to be, they're going to be adults. They're going to go out on their own and have their own families. And, and Beth right now, as soon as I said that, she grabbed Maria's arm. She was like, no, you can't go. You know, and I'm like, no, really, they can go. And, and it's like, <laughs> but we should. Like, as, as adults, as we grow older, we, we should want to be able to embrace that season of our lives. To say, you know what it is, our kids, they're going to grow up, they're not going to be kids anymore. But if we've done our job, they're going to be great adults. And we can adult with them, you know? And we don't have to kind of be there to be the policeman anymore, the bad cop, good cop. We can actually be there to go through life arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder together. And so those were the two things, I think, at my core. That's what I wanted. Like, I wanted a house where kids love to be, even if I was there. And I wanted to be able to have a life after kids that we could kind of go on. And Beth and I could have these adventures and our kids could come along with us, not because they had to be, but because they wanted to tag along, because they wanted to be part of it. So I was thinking, you know, did we accomplish this? You know, what are some things that we've done? And I'm just going to give you just for a few moments just a window uh, into, into our life and my soul and our thought process. You know, what are, what are some things that we've done that's helped nurture this? And what are some things we've done that's actually kind of uh, hurt the process at times? I think one of the things we, Beth and I decided early on is dinner time was dinner time. Like we try really, really hard to have dinner together as a family. You know, if we can make it five or six nights a week, we feel like it's a success. And a lot of weeks we go seven nights a week. And, and it's not even about what you eat, you know. It's just about sitting down. And this is very biblical. When you sit down and break bread, there's fellowship that happens. There's sharing that happens. There's things that just, things get shared and talked about. And that may be the only moment of the day, that 20-minute or 30-minute period that you're all sitting down at the dinner table where all of you are together whether that's a husband and wife or whether that's a husband, wife, and a kid or whether that's a, a, a parent and a child or for us, you know, a husband, wife, and three kids, you know, the, the older the kids get, the harder it gets to kind of wrangle everybody together, but we're there and we work really, really hard on having that together. The other thing that we've, we've, we've tried really hard to do and, and, and I know I have failed miserably is um, we really wanted to kind of separate overreacting to teachable moments, Right? Like, kids are going to screw up. Things are going to happen. I mean, even as adults, we screw up, and we have to have teachable moments. And there's things that happen, though, and, and our natural instinct is to overreact. Well, why did you do that? What were you thinking? You know, they're, they're 12. They're not thinking. You know? I mean, that's just it. And so we've tried to, like, all right, you know, and, and, and Beth and I are both overreactors at times, and, and probably me worse than anybody. And we overreact, and then we got to kind of come back or apologize and say, all right, let me tell you what I was thinking. This is why I got upset. This is what you need to think about next time. But trying really hard to overreact less and to have more teachable moments. 
Um, those are just a couple of the things that we wanted to do. Another thing I jotted down is we need to have the wisdom. We, 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 we've talked about this a lot, Beth and I did, to be able to say no even if there were good things. That sometimes your kids want things or sometimes your spouse wants things and you have to be able to say no, not right now. Not because it's not good, but just because it's not the right time. Like right now, the answer is no. But why? I just, I can't really explain it. I can't articulate it. It's just no. Now is not the right time. And so having the wisdom to be able to say no instead of just flying off or overreacting or doing whatever or just coming up with something, you know, being, being able to say that. So then I'm trying to balance family life and trying to raise this family and, 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 and make sure that my family matters. And for me, and it's different for everybody because we're all in different walks of life. And again, this is just a glimpse into my soul for just a moment. For me, trying to juggle family life and church life um, ultimately became very intertwined. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Because all of a sudden, everyone who was at my churches, all of my youth became my kids. Everyone who was in my church became kind of my adopted family. And, and I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to care for them. And everything was there. And a lot of times that happened to the neglect of my family. And there was definitely at least two times in my ministry in 25 years that I can think of that I was burned up and burned out. Because I was trying to be everything to everybody. And um, several years ago, um, those of you who were here around RE3 in the early days, uh, you know, we have some very, very dear friends of RE3, Angie and Pepe. And Angie is, I was a missionary um, in, in Mexico City, and we started taking, I started leading mission teams down there many years ago, and we met Angie, and she immediately came like part of like our group, right? I mean, she was um, a Kansas girl that was living in Mexico City that was doing ministry, just incredible stuff. And then one day we go down, one year we go down there, and all of a sudden she's met this man named Pepe, and, and all of a sudden Pepe's a friend. And the next time we go, Pepe's her husband. And all of a sudden he's like there. And then like they decide they're going to move to the U.S., and they move here, and they move to Colonel and Pepe starts this amazing ministry here at RE3 and he's doing some stuff and he's helping people and Angie's, they're doing all this kind of stuff that Hispanic community around this area. And then um, Angie got pregnant again with her second child and her parents were still living in Kansas and they were like, why don't you come home? Let us kind of love on you guys. And, and ultimately they decided that was the move they needed to make. And I'll never forget when they stood up here on that last Sunday, Pepe stood right here in this very spot and he was talking about his family and talking about his ministry and how to balance both. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, my family is my first ministry. He said, I have to minister to my family first before I can minister to anyone else. And Pepe's um, a little bit older than me and I just thought, man, I wish he had told me that like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? Because I think for so long, I kind of intertwined the two. So what I had to do, not just then, and I know he kind of, kind of started the process, but, but hearing Pepe say that was kind of like this aha moment for me, and it kind of opened things up, and I had to decide, you know, really, who was going to build the church? Was I going to work as hard as I could to build this church, or was I going to trust Jesus, who says in the scripture, I will build the church, Right? So I had to decide what was I going to do. Was I going to continue to devote all this time and energy to the church and my church family at the neglect of my real family, like the family I have to go home to every single night? Or was I going to trust God with the church family and trust God with the ministry? Now, it doesn't mean that I don't work hard and you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that I don't plan and you don't plan. It just, it just, what it really means is we have to get out of the mindset, or I had to get out of the mindset, well, if I don't, it won't, right? If I don't do this, then it won't get done. 
If I don't, no. Like, Jesus said, I'll build the church. Like, if, if I'm just doing my part, I got to trust God with all the rest. The other thing that I had to learn when I was thinking about ministry was this, that there's just not enough time for everybody. There just isn't. Somebody is going to get cheated. Either my family was going to get cheated or the church was going to get cheated. And for many years in ministry, my family got cheated. Like, I wasn't there when I needed to be for Beth or for, or for like, Jacob when he was young or, or even Maria when, when, when she was really young. Like, like, I just wasn't there. I was there, but I wasn't there. And if I was there, my mind was elsewhere. Like, it was on ministry in the church and trying to balance all of these things. So I had to decide, all right, if some, something in life is going to get cheated, what's going to get cheated? And I can honestly say it's you, Right? It's the church. I decided, you know what? The church will have to get cheated for my time. That my time is, the majority of my time now is going to be focused on my family. And what's incredible, and I tell people this all the time, I am working less now as far as hours, right? Not work ethic or anything like that, but I'm working less now than I've worked in 25 years. And God is doing more now than he's done in 25 years. It's because I finally got out of the way I said, all right, God, why don't you build the church? Why don't you build Project Re3 the way that you want to build Project Re3, not the way that I want it? And so you're actually in a better spot because you don't have to rest on me and my leadership and my shoulders. You can rest on Jesus and his leadership and his shoulders. He's the one building our church, not me. And I can give my family what they need probably too much of me at times, right? They're probably like, don't you have something at church to do? Like there's just times when they, I'm sure they, that they wanted to, that they want to kind of push me away. But I had to get to this idea that, you know what? I had to be satisfied with whatever size church we were going to have based on the amount of hours I was willing to give. That it wasn't about a 5,000 person church anymore. It wasn't even about a 500 person church. It was about, you know what, God, I'm totally satisfied with who you bring and who's in our doors. That's who I'm going to love and that's who I'm going to care for. But my first ministry has to be my family. Now, that's me. Uh, for most of you, you're not involved in full-time ministry, right? I mean, you're involved in other things, and you do others other things really, really well. So what I want to do this morning now for just our last little bit of time together is you've kind of heard from me and how I've had to come to grips with how do I, how do I make my family matter in the shadow of ministry, right? Having to flip that so that now my family matters and ministry is in the shadow. Like, how do I flip those things around and how I had to go about doing it and just some real brief realizations I had to come to. But what about you, where you're at? What are some things that maybe you're doing or need to do in your own life to make sure that your family matters? What are some things that need to be flipped around? What are some things that need to be moved around so that you can say at the end of every night, God, you know what? People may question everything about me, but they are not going to question that my family doesn't matter. Like they know without a shadow of a doubt, my family matters. Whatever your family dynamic looks like, whether it's just a spouse or it's one kid or it's five kids or it's a parent or child. Like I said, it doesn't matter. Whoever is your family, however you define your family, at the end of the day, I think it is our job to leave no doubt in people's minds, that our families matter to us. Because in a lot of ways, that's the only view into our lives that they see. They see our kids, they see our spouses, they see whoever, you know? And that's kind of reflection. Our family is a reflection of our lives. 
And so here you go. If you're taking notes, a couple things. And this is one of those things where if you, you like just practical stuff, you know, five things, jot them down. This is for you. Um, how to make sure your family matters. Number one, don't give up what is unique to you for something someone else will do. I'm going to say that again. Do not give up what is unique to you for something somebody else can do. And what I mean by that is this. I want you to think about your job for a moment. Odds are you're in a job that someone had before you. And odds are you're in a job that someone's going to have when you're gone, right? I'm not trying to poo-poo on your job, but does that really make you unique? It makes you just another cog in the wheel. You're there for that season, right? And yes, you're needed to make sure that that job continues to move and that it moves from one season to the next. But does that truly make you unique? In my life, as I started thinking about that even this week, and I'm just using me for an example, the only thing that I'm really, the only role that I'm really unique to is father of my kids. That's it. I mean, that's it. If, if I walked out here today and got hit by a bus, Beth could remarry, right? If I walked out here today and Beth pushed me in front of a bus, she could remarry, right? I mean, that's just it. It's like she could find another husband and she would probably do it a lot different than she did 22 years ago, right? Like she, like she could find someone better looking and smarter and, and more successful and all of that. So the only thing that I have right now that is unique to me is father of Jacob, Maria, and Josh. That's it. So if that's the thing that I am most unique for, because nobody else on this planet can be their father, doesn't it make sense that that should be my number one priority? Like that should be the thing that I pour myself into the most, that I want to be the best father I can be to my kids. And, and like I said, you're unique to whatever you're unique to. It's different, you know, but that's the thing that you need to think about. In my life, what is most unique? And if that's the role I have, then shouldn't that get the majority of my attention and my energy? And then I can give the rest of me to everything else. It doesn't mean that your job gets neglected. It doesn't mean that your hobbies get neglected. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, there's enough of you to kind of spread out, but shouldn't a larger portion go to the thing that you're, that you're most unique with? So don't give up what is unique for something that someone else can do. The thing is, as you think about kids, your greatest contribution may not even be what you do. It may be who you raise. And I would absolutely love for my three kids to be so much more successful than Beth and I. For them to be better at whatever it is they want to do in life, for them to be the best they could possibly be. I would love to raise someone that just that far exceeds me. Like, like, so maybe your contribution isn't even you. Maybe it's who you're raising. Maybe it's that person you're pouring into. Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe you don't have kids and that's okay. But maybe your contribution is I'm going to pour into my spouse and make sure whatever they're doing, they're the best that they can possibly be. Like that's the position you have that's unique right now. But it's figuring it out and, and figuring out those things that, that there's roles. And maybe for some of you, it may be multiple roles, but you're unique to that role. No one else can do it. So why not pour yourself into that role? Still do everything else, but it kind of shifts the priorities a little bit. and says, man, this is where I need to be. The second thing is this. You need to prioritize your marriage on your calendar. 
that if you're married, you need to prioritize your marriage on your calendar. And it sounds silly because even as if, um, when Beth and I, before we had kids, we were married five years before we had Jacob. And, and I remember like when we had Jacob as a newborn, Beth and I looked at each other and we were like, what did we just do with those five years, right? Like, like, man, like we thought our lives were busy and chaotic and she was in law school and I was in ministry and all of this stuff. And so a lot of times we were just passing each other in the hallways. I mean, life was just kind of crazy. And also we had kids and we're like, oh man, we had so much free time then that we just wasted, right? Like we could have had so many more date nights and all this kind of thing. And so then you start having kids and your kids become your priority and it kind of, they become like the center of your universe and you're doing stuff. You still have got to call a time out. And if you don't have kids, like I said, even if your life is busy and you're both working jobs and all this kind of stuff, you're empty nesters, like you still have to be able to prioritize your marriage. And say, man, you know what? We're going to go out and we're going to do things. Like, we're going to have a date night. Like, we're going to go on a marriage retreat. We're, we're going to go on trips together. Even if it's a weekend or a week or whatever it may be. Like, we're going to live life together without our kids. And even now, sometimes Beth and I, I mean, it's, um, you get kind of stuck in a routine so much that we're so used to being parents and we're so used to like, well, if we go out to eat, our kids have to come with us, that sometimes we realize, no, they don't right? And it's like, oh, like, this is like a revelation. Like, you know, like, we can give them a frozen pizza, and we can go eat somewhere's nice. And so, um, but, it, but even then, so it's really, you've got to calendar that. Like, you have to really force yourself to realize that you're, you can do that, and to give your permission to do that. Like, it, you, it's imperative that you date your spouse. It is imperative that y'all make time for one another, that kids aren't involved. You know, um, Beth, I'm a big board gamer. Beth, a board gamer. And so there's times, like, a couple nights a week, I'm like, hey, let's, let's play board games. And Beth's like, all right, you want to you ask the kids? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Like, we need to, like, you and I can sit here and yell at each other over this game a lot better than the kids involved, right? Like, like we're that competitive. And, and so it's just, it's being able to say no, like, right now, this is what I want to do. I want to focus on you. Third thing is this. Learning that when you say no, is for now, but not forever. Learning that no is now, not forever. There are certain things in your family that um, might seem like really good ideas, or maybe they're big financial investments or whatever it may be, and you want to do it, and you want to have it because this couple has it, or this family has it, or they're going here, and we should be able to go there. If it don't fit in your family, don't do it. And it's okay to say no. And just because you say no right now doesn't mean that's going to be the answer a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. You know, I, I love Dave Ramsey. And, I, and one of my favorite quotes of all time from anybody is when Dave says, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. You know, we have a lot of friends that are our age that are in debt like, I don't, I don't even know how much, right? And we're not. And we're able to do some things that our friends are not necessarily able to do or maybe we do the same things, but we get to do it stress-free because we've lived like no one else. You know, we, we did that early on and we managed our money well and we had to say no to things, you know, like, no, we can't go out to eat tonight or no, we can't take this vacation because we knew that later on we wanted to be able to say yes. So there's things that your kids are going to want or your spouse are going to want. And just because you say no doesn't mean that that's a stamp of no forever. It just means right now in this moment in time, today, the answer is no and that's okay. It's not no forever. And we have to understand that no is not final. No is not final from us and no is not final from God. That there's times that we may go to God and pray for our family or seeking certain things for our family or for that perfect spouse or whoever it may be. And right now, God may be saying no. 
I've counseled a lot of single people that are just like, man, God, why, or Mike, why can't God give me that perfect someone? Why can't I find somebody? And my answer to them is, well, what, maybe there's something wrong with you, right? Not, and, 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 and I guess that is kind of harsh now to say it, but, but I don't mean it that way. Like, like what I tell them is this, is like maybe there's something in your life God's wanting to fix so that when you find that perfect someone, they're not having to help fix you too. Like, doesn't it make more sense to be the, perf- the most perfect you that you can be when you meet that right, Mrs. Right or Mrs. Right? So they're not having to carry your baggage too, that you've already on this path of getting that stuff worked out. And they're always like, oh yeah, I guess I do have some stuff I need to work out. And inevitably, most of them do. And then they end up finding that Mrs. Right or Mrs. Right, and their marriage is so much more better because of it. So even God saying no to a spouse or no to kids or no to whatever it is your family's wanting to do is not no forever. It's just trusting God that God's saying no for the right reason. Just like sometimes we have to tell our kids no for the right reasons and and we can't articulate it or we don't want to articulate it. They just have to trust us. Sometimes God says no and we just have to trust him. No is not forever and that's okay. The fourth thing is this. Nobody at home should feel like they're competing with somebody at work. Nobody in your house should feel like they are competing with somebody at your work. You might say, well, I don't, I don't have the capacity to be the parent I want to be or to be the spouse I need to be. Well, why don't you? Because we all have the same capacity, right, in life. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all live seven days a week. We all have the same amount of capacity. It's just our capacity may be filled with something other than our family. You may work 40 hours a week, but if you come home and 20 more hours are on the phone or you're answering emails or you're thinking about whatever, well, that just lessens the capacity you have for your children. I was the worst about this. Like I would come home after, after church and I'd still think about church. I'd go to bed thinking about ministry. I'd wake up thinking about ministry. I'd be thinking about everybody's problems, how I could solve them, blah, 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 all these types of things. And that wasn't doing anything for my family at home because I was always there. Like my mind, even though I wasn't physically in the church, my mind was in the church. There were times, and it still happens now occasionally, where I'm home and I'm in a rotten mood. And Beth is just like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you so ill? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. And, and I can't talk about it because it's dealing with something that, that's been brought to my attention or something I'm dealing with at church or somebody that's going through something that is just breaking my heart and I'm seeing them struggle and I'm just, I'm carrying that, right? But I can't because I'm not God. I'm not their savior. I'm not your savior. I got to leave that sometimes. I got to be able to go into my house and shut the door and say, you know what? I'm going to focus on my family. Steve Harvey, I love Steve Harvey, right? And Steve Harvey says this, he has his rule. He says that he lets every single phone call go to voicemail, everything. It don't matter if his mom, his brother, his cousin, whoever it may be, everything goes to voicemail. And then he answers that voicemail and he determines if he needs to call them back or not, right? And he says, a lot of times he'll answer that voicemail and they'll be like, oh, Steve, I need you to call me. It's an emergency, right? And he says, you know what? What I found out is their emergency is not my emergency. So Steve said he has a three-day rule. He waits three days before he calls that person back. And he says 99% of the time when he calls them back, he's like, hey, man, I'm sorry, I just got your message. (laughs) What's the emergency? And they're like, oh, never mind, it got solved, don't worry about it. He's like, well, all right, you know? And I think that's, that's good for us to remember, is that someone else's emergency, somebody else's work emergency, somebody else's relationship emergency doesn't have to be our emergency. 
Like our capacity for work, our capacity for others does not have to steal from the capacity we have for our family. And then the last thing, and, and, and this may be the most important, is this. If you have kids or you want to have kids, I want you to think about the family you want your kids to have. So imagine your kids are grown. Imagine you have kids and they're grown and they are meeting Mrs. Wright or Mrs. Wright and they're having kids. I want you to imagine what you want your children's family to look like outside of you. You do that and then you model that family. What do I want my kids' family to look like? That's what I need to model. Because what they see on a daily basis, what they hear on a daily basis is what's gonna get repeated in their life. If they're in a house that's full of just chaos, not the fun chaos, but the chaos that's heartbreaking where mom and dad are always screaming at each other and things are getting thrown and and dad's working late or mom's working late or whatever it may be, there's all this like just garbage. What do you think they're gonna settle in in their life with? They're gonna find a spouse that's just like that because they're gonna assume that's the norm. They're gonna build a family that mimics that because they're gonna think that is the norm. You need to imagine what you want. Best case scenario, I want my kids to have the most perfect family. This is what I want their spouse to look like. This is what I want their family to look like. This is how I want their finances to look. All of those things. And then you model that for them. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you and for me to start doing it. This is actually something that's practiced a lot in therapy and in counseling. And um, I've had it done to me. Right? And just um, like two weeks ago or a week ago or whatever, I went and saw one of my counselors. And um, we were sitting down and, and I was just kind of talking to him about this like negative self-talk I was having in my head. You know, I was just like, ah, Fred, you know what? I was thinking about this. And, and it was just kind of all negative and negative. And Fred's listened to me. And he says, all right, Mike. He's like, if one of your church members came and sat in your office and they were telling you this, what, what advice would you give them? I didn't even have to answer. I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, you know, so why don't you give yourself that same advice? Why don't you imagine that as you sitting across from your desk and you are telling yourself these things that you're telling me, what advice would you give them? And I just needed to be reminded of that. I've done that to people before and it gets done to me. And I think it's the same way with our kids. If I want our kids to behave a certain way or look a certain way or our families to be a certain way, shouldn't we be modeling that ourselves? Shouldn't we be saying and doing the same things ourselves? If we want our kids to have a Christ-centered marriage, we need to have a Christ-centered marriage. If we want our kids to be involved in church, and I'm not, I didn't say church, attend church, because a lot of people attend church, very few are involved in church. If I want my kids to be involved in church, I need to be involved in church. If I want my kids serving others, I need to be serving others. If I want my kids to be financially stable, I need to be financially stable. If I want my kids to pray, and not just prayer requests, but praises also, I need to be able to model prayer in front of them. And if I want, this is very important for today's, right now, January 24th, 2021, if I want my kids to walk by faith and not fear, I need to model that. I need to model a household that walks by faith, that is not driven by fear. Fear of COVID, fear of the next bill that's gonna come in, fear of of what my spouse is gonna think if I say this. No, 
Because if kids are raised in a house of fear, what do you think their household and their life is going to mimic? A household and a life of fear. Amen. That's a sermon to itself, right? Man, if we want our kids to have the life we want them to have, it has to start right here. If we want our kids and our spouses, if we want their family and our family to matter to them, it has to matter to us. Our family has to matter because it matters to God. He entrusted you with your child. He entrusted you with your spouse. He entrusted you with your parents. He entrusted all of you together. And it doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean there's not things that are broken. It doesn't mean that there's not things that have been in the past that have to be in the future. Today is a day that you can change. Just because you can say, you know what, well, my family hasn't been that way doesn't mean that it can't be that way tomorrow. But we have to decide once and for all that our family matters, that my family matters, that it starts at home. It starts with me and my relationship with God. That I have to be right before I can make sure the rest of my family is right. So the question I'm going to ask you this morning as we close is, not does your family matter? Because if you walked in here this morning and I just asked you that, you would all say, yeah, my family matters. The question is, do they know it? Do they know that you matter to them? Do other people looking at your life know that your family matters to you? Because that's what's telling. It's not about what we think. Because a lot of times we fool ourselves that we think a certain way. But do our actions back up what we say really matters? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of family for the gift of spouses, of parents, of kids. Thank you for the fact that my family matters to you. Out of the billions of families that have been on this earth, mine still matters to you. And God, my prayer is that my family matters as much to me as it does to you. And if there's anything currently in my life right now that's prohibiting that, if there's anything in my life right now that, that, that's going on that's not allowing my family to be what it needs to be because of something that I'm doing, then Lord, show me that. If I'm investing way too much time and energy into things that aren't unique to me, then Lord, show me what is unique and allow me to reprioritize my life to pour into that. Lord, for those that are married, let us prioritize our marriages. Let us, let us learn to date again. Let us learn to go out and celebrate one another. Lord, let us realize that just because you may say no to us or we may have to say no to our spouse or our kids, no is not forever. Lord, my prayer is that the people that we live in our house with May they never compete for time with the people that are outside of our house. And God, if there's anything that we're doing currently 
that we don't want our kids to model. Lord, I pray that today, right now, we change that. As difficult as it may be, as uncomfortable as it may be, may we change our behaviors, may we change the dynamic of our family so that the legacy of our family lived out through our kids will look better than it does right now. Lord, help us to realize that our, our family matters to you, so it should matter to us. Lord, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.